So 2 Peter 1, 1 to 11 says this, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. My grace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us precious, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word. We thank you for the, um, the opportunity to just sit our hearts before you and, and be challenged. We thank you that uh, your word is a double-edged sword that cuts between uh, bone and flesh or soul and flesh. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would just, yeah, discern the intentions of our heart. Uh, God, pierce us with your scripture and, and challenge us uh, where we're at. Lord, we thank you for, um, yeah, for, for Peter's letters and how he challenged the church uh, in Asia Minor and um, encouraged them and strengthened them. And Lord, we're grateful that even today, 2,000 years later, we can be challenged and encouraged in the same way. And so, God, we pray, uh, we just ask Holy Spirit that you would guide uh, this time, that you would be proclaimed and exalted and lifted up in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Peter is now writing a second letter to the same group of people in Asia Minor. So Second Peter is a little bit shorter, just three chapters. We'll only be here like four weeks, I think, or so. Uh, but same group of people, a little later in life. Uh, we understand, and he kind of reveals this to us later uh, in the passage, or in, in, the, in the book, um, that he's aware that his, his death is coming. He's, his death is imminent. Uh, the Lord has kind of revealed to them that, that something's coming, and uh, eventually we know that he's crucified for his faith in Christ, um, but he is perceiving that the persecution around him is growing and that it's only a matter of time at this point uh, when he's going to be taken. And so he's writing this letter to encourage the church that is maybe experiencing persecution in a in a lesser way at the current moment than they are in Rome, uh, but it's coming. And so he's encouraging them to stand, stand fast uh, in their faith and to remember the core of their faith. Um, it's a challenge because you hear throughout the whole book that he's going to be challenging some false prophets and false teachers that are in the land that are trying to infiltrate the church itself. And so while there's like got a couple layers here, right? You've got while there's Christian faith and people are following Jesus and being persecuted for said faith, they're also layering in people who are hijacking faith 
and changing it and morphing it with the culture and just trying to syncretize belief into Christian faith. And so Peter is, in this book, is calling them to remember what it was they came to Christ in in the beginning and calling them to remember the very, very core of our faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Um, he starts out by uh, a, a, a typical greeting, but an important one to look at. He says, from Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't really know why he says Simeon here versus Simon. Uh, we think may, maybe it's to you know, talk to the Gentiles, and, and that's the form of it. But either way, it's Simon Peter. Um, he calls himself a servant and an apostle. And as I was thinking about these terms, just like, you know, obviously we hear them over and over with, with these letters. You know, Paul refers to himself as a servant of Christ, and, and so does Peter in some of his letters. But just to, like, step back and remember, like, the, the title he's taking on, servant and master. And I think some of your translations say bond servant, right? Um, it should really be taken, that connotation should be taken that Peter is saying, I'm a willing servant. I have made myself servant. I've chosen to be servant to Jesus. I haven't been compelled or forced into this, but rather I've chosen to enslave myself to Jesus Christ, to do his will. And so we see him identify as, I am a slave of Jesus. And, and the point of that is that his desires have changed. He has cast his desires apart, his, the desires of his flesh or whatever they are, and is saying, I'm going to come under the desires of Christ. And I'm going to follow his desires. I'm going to come subservient to him. And not only am I going to come servant to him in my desires in life, but also my will in life I am submitting to him. He's saying I'm an apostle of Jesus. I'm sent by Jesus Christ. So the purpose of my life and the desire I have in life is, sub, is servanthood to Christ. I yield my desires to Jesus and I yield my plans to Jesus is what Peter is saying from the outset. So it's from Peter, the servant and apostle, the uh, sent, sent servant. And it's to those, it says, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the way that he phrases this in terms of like who he's sending it to because he qualifies it uh, in, a, in a way that is purposeful. <laughs> he, he, is saying, he is saying this is to a church that that's faith has been obtained of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. He looks at a church that maybe is newer, right, in terms of they didn't meet Jesus face to face as Peter met Jesus face to face. Okay, they heard about him, it was told of him, they're younger in their faith in, in such a way. But Peter, who's leading the church abroad now, is saying, your faith is of equal standing with ours here in Rome. There's not like, we talked about some last week, and we've talked about it a number of times, it's not like levels in the kingdom. <laughs> you know, like, there's trust Jesus or don't trust Jesus. That's the only level there is. You're either believing on him or you're not believing on him. There's no new information to gain. It's simply the gospel. And so to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, um, he's addressing them to say, we're not saying we're better than you in any way. 
we're just further along in the journey. We've been walking it longer or whatever. But the, the thing that you realize as you walk as a Christian is that you don't, like, get closer, you know? Like, like I don't get more righteous. If, if the righteousness of Christ has been given to me, there's nothing more to give to me, right? There's no more righteousness to add to myself when Christ's righteousness has been given to me. And so I'm not, like, getting more righteous. And so in contrast to, like, any other system we see in our world, whether it's, like, sports or work or music or whatever field it is as we're growing, you do grow in prominence and influence and all this kind of thing, right? Not so in Christian faith. The more you walk this road of following Jesus, actually, if you keep your eyes on him, the more humble you become about your position. Because you realize more and more, actually, man, he saved me even though my thoughts are this bad, even though my, my desires are this bad, he still saved me before I was even here. And so as you grow in Christian faith, you don't grow in pride of, well, I've been a Christian since 1990. And since you just became a Christian, I'm somehow, you know, better or whatever, right? That's not how we view Christian faith. Actually, what I realize now is that, that uh, since I've been a Christian since 1990, man, it looks like since I became a Christian early in life, he had more work to do on me than maybe he did on other people. Saved at seven, Okay, I guess I had a real dark heart because he needed my whole life to work on me, okay? Um, so the truth you, you realize as you become a Christian, you keep your eyes on Jesus, is you're just humble like we were in worship, just humble by God's holiness and how good he is and that in our, in our brokenness, he came down and, and showed his love for us by giving his son. And so for all of us, the, the basis of our faith, our standing is not in what we can do, but what Jesus has done. None of us has any greater standing before another in the Lord. And so I love that Peter opens his, his letter to these uh, churches by saying to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Not by the effort, not by their own strength, not by their own knowledge, not by their own wisdom, but by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, um, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His prayer for this church is that as you grow and as you gain more knowledge of God, that it would just draw you closer and closer to him. May his grace and peace be multiplied to you. In verse 3, he turns to uh, his first point he wants to make to this group of believers, and it's a reminder of the promise that Jesus has given to, to us as followers of Christ. He gives us a reminder of, of who we are and what our foundation of our faith is, and then he's going to turn to uh, the practice of that and how that's borne out in our lives and how we should pay attention to that, how important it's to pay attention to the practice of our faith as Christians. He reminds us first of what we've received in verses uh, 3 on to 4, um, and then shows us how, we to, how are we to respond to Jesus in verses 5 on to 11. So first, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power. So Christ comes down and dies on our behalf, and, and we now have placed our faith in Jesus, saying, Lord, I believe that your death has become a substitute for my sin, and now I'm taking on your righteousness in myself, nothing of mine. And now his power, the power of the resurrection and that, the divine power, he has granted to us all things for life and godliness. The life that he's given us is real life, not just like the life we're walking through, temporal life, right? Like life that matters to God, which is eternal life, okay? The whole of it. He wants you to start a life with him today. And so he's saying the divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life, that which is good, that which God has created, the, the spirit that God has put into our bones, he's breathed into us, right? He wants us to have the life that God desires, so it's his divine power in Christ through which he has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So what we're to be about is this eternal life that God has provided for us, and that should have some outworking and strength to pursue what it is to be godly. How do we pursue that? How do we receive uh, and walk in this power that he's granted us? Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. As you grow in understanding, you read the Gospels, just read the Gospels over and over and over again. Just look at the character of Jesus and don't like cut out any pieces that you don't like, you know, which many have done, okay? And that's a hard phrase of Jesus, I'm not sure he said that. No, read the whole of the Gospels and let, let the character of Jesus just settle into you. And, and then read the Old Testament, Genesis to, uh, Genesis to Malachi, right? And let the character and mercy of God sit into you. It's so easy sometimes to read the Old Testament and go, man, he seems like judgment, he's bringing down his judgment on people, all this kind of thing. But the Lord is long-suffering and merciful to his people. And read it knowing that, that Jesus is present from beginning to end. He's the creator with God. Before all things were made, he is the creator. And so read the Old Testament and grow in the knowledge that our God is after our hearts, has been after our hearts since day one. We talked about it with Cain last week, right? He goes to Cain as soon as Cain brings this wrong offering and says to Cain, dude, listen, like, your heart isn't right. And if you don't get your heart right, something worse is going to happen. Sin is crouching at your door. God comes and speaks to Cain in that way. He gives him this warning. To let him know. So grow in this knowledge of him uh, who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Through his glory and excellence, he has granted to us a very precious and great promise. So that through him we may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of our sinful desire. As we grow in our knowledge of God, as we grow in his mercy, 
our character actually changes too. There's a shift that happens when we realize how great the promise is that God has given us eternal life and let that sink into the rest of our lives. It's very easy to take our eyes off of that and get focused on the things of this world and get focused on the concerns of our hearts. And as soon as we do, we miss the connection with the Lord and what He desires for us. And we fall into our sinful desires and passions. When we gave our lives to Jesus, you know, I don't know what your testimony is or how you came to faith, but when we gave our lives to Jesus, especially if it was later in life, you recognized a shift in your spirit and in your desires in life. There's like a very clear change of, of patterns that is happening. And, and God is cool because he, again, is after our hearts completely, and he doesn't actually take away all our desires at once. He may take away some big desire that you have in your life when you come to faith in him, and you're like, that's God, like, and you can point to that, you're probably pointing to that the rest of your life, and you go, this is how the Lord changed my life, because I was struggling with whatever the case was, and God changed something in me, and I'm going to testify to that the rest of my life, because I know it was true. But if you've been walking the road long enough, you know that he doesn't remove everything all at once. We can't handle it. We couldn't handle it, I don't think. And, you know, I think we'd come too prideful and, and boastful in our, own, uh, in our own thinking. And so he has purpose in this. Uh, he changes something very clear in us when we come to know him, but he continues to work on our heart throughout our journey with him. And what we realize as we grow is that what he has done has saved us from the final impact of our, our desires. I mean, this is what Jesus has done. He saved us from the punishment we deserved. And he wants to speak that to us and challenge us with that the rest of his life, that, that what was on the table for us was death and separation from our God, who made us, informed us, and knows what is best for us in all situations. And yet he came down to save us from the impact of that, that is separation from God, and the consequence of those desires, which is harmfulness to ourselves and to those around us. And so the rest of our Christian life is about responding to what Jesus has done in every aspect of our lives. When we realize that, that His divine power has given us everything for life and godliness, and that He has granted us precious and great promises, that is, eternal life ahead with Him, and full provision in all things at all times. We know that His will for us is our good. Then we can walk according to His ways and cast off the sinful desire. Then we can say like Peter, I've become a servant of Jesus. I've exchanged my desires for the Lord's desires. I've become a sent one of Jesus. I've, I've, I've exchanged my purposes for the Lord's purposes. Peter is challenging this group of churches to remember that Christ has changed their life. Christ has shifted their desires, shifted their purpose. 
And it should have impact in, in every area of our living. And so he says, starting in verse, seven, verse 5, um, that there's something to respond to, right? This eternal life that God has provided for us gives us a means to respond. It shows us that we should, uh, we should follow in the way of Christ and do as Christ did and live as Christ did. He goes through a, a list of things uh, that you're to add to your faith, which is fun. For this reason, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with dot, dot, dot. And you're going like, I thought we weren't supposed to supplement faith with anything, Because right? it's by faith alone, right? Okay. So James says, faith without works is dead, Right? And the point here is that when you have received this great eternal promise of God and you realize how much God has done for you, when you really understand the gospel, it's not like some idea that you've just assented to and said, that's a great philosophy or idea. And I like the idea of God sacrificing himself for us on the cross. That's a great concept, and I'd like to watch a movie about that, and I'm really interested in that idea, right? You could, you could have that perspective, but God has called us to a life. He's called us to see what Christ has done and become like Peter, a, a servant to what Christ has done, and an apostle to what Christ has done. To be one that has said, I'm going to, I see what Christ has done, and my only response is that I'm going to attach myself to Jesus in my desires and in my plans. I want him to direct the will of my life, and I want him to direct the desires of my life. Peter goes through this list, and it's actually a list of, I think, eight or so things. Um, it starts with faith, and it ends with love. And so... Um, one thing that we should say about the list is that while you can kind of see a thought pattern through it in a, in a way, uh, you shouldn't hold so strictly to that thought pattern necessarily, okay? You shouldn't try and like force a connection from one thing to the next, but you should force a connection in, in Peter's overall concept. And the overall concept is add to your faith love, right? Add to your faith love. Because if you have faith as an idea, okay, Christianity is an idea, and you don't have love, then you miss the whole point of the faith, right? The faith is that Jesus came down as Son of God and died for you on a cross. That's, how he, that's the level to which he demonstrated his love for you. And so if you just believe in that as an idea, but don't allow that to enter your living and your life, then you've just got a concept of faith and not a true understanding of it. When you grow in the knowledge of what Christian faith is, that is, God died for you, when you grow in that and let that sink into your soul, something changes. You are continually changed. And instead of becoming uh, boastful about how long you've been a Christian, you become humble and go, God, you have so much more work to do on me. And so he says, for this reason, because of the great promises you've received from Jesus, not on your righteousness, but on the righteousness of 
of Jesus our Lord. Because you've received these promises, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Add to your faith virtue. And, you know, it kind of starts out, interestingly, with a concept that his culture is familiar with. Doing good. Okay? It's common to good. In fact, in his last letter, he's instructing them, do good to your employer, even though they're bad to you. Do good to your spouse, even though they might not agree with your concept. Do good to the emperor, even though you are persecuted by people in his, in his care. Do good. Work as though you're working for the Lord, even if, you're, even if your boss is not, uh, not that great. Right? Do good. This idea of virtue is one that, okay, that's culturally good. Add to your faith virtue. Do good. As, as, long as, as, as much as is possible for you, live at peace with those that are around you. Do good. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. And when Peter's talking about knowledge, he talks about it a number of times throughout this letter. Uh, he starts out with us challenging us to grow in the knowledge of God. He actually ends the letter by saying, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Knowledge is a big point that Peter wants to get across to them, and knowledge is not just worldly information. Okay, The knowledge that Peter is emphasizing is knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge of God. If you don't know something about the Lord, go find out as much as you can about him. At this point, if you know, 2,000 years of Christian faith, there's lots of people that have written a lot of words about God. <laughs> Some of them better than others, okay? But, but there is a lot, treasure troves of believers to follow and listen to and understand. And, uh, you know, I knew I was going to talk about this at some point during our sermon, guys, Jason and Laura and Mark. Um, on Friday, we got together and watched the you know, Voice of the Martyrs um, viewing Hearts of Fire. And you want to grow in the knowledge of God? Okay, hear the stories of those persecuted in the past and what they went through and those that are living and are able to tell the story and say, this is how bad it was. And what is the foundation of the knowledge of God in that? God is our Savior in the midst of a shipping container in, where was it, Ethiopia? Yeah, Etria. You want to grow in the knowledge of God, look back at the church history and, and understand this is the way God has, has saved, has provided for, has encouraged, has strengthened his people. Add to your faith knowledge of the word itself and how God is at work uh, ministering to his people. Add to your uh, virtue knowledge of, of the way you can cry out to God in prayer. Read the Psalms and listen to the heart of David as he cries to his father and asks, why do the wicked prosper? Add to your virtue knowledge of the creation itself. Sometimes we get like divorced from everything we see in Christian faith and just focus on the word, which is important. But we do have to remember, God created the world. <laughs> Trees, bees, plants, all these things, God created them. Mountains, rivers, oceans. We should exalt the fact that mankind has not exhausted the depths of the world we live on. We don't even understand it yet. Like, you know, you look at 
whatever, <laughs> whatever, like the, the, the reading of temperature is always fun to me. Okay, this is political hot button, sorry. Ooh. It's hot outside, guys. Um, but truthfully, right, it's, it's interesting. If the world's been around for billions of years, and we only have record of temperature for 200, where do we think it's going? We don't know. <laughs> we have no concept, okay? And that's just not one way or another. That's just a limited knowledge framework that we have, okay? So recognize that God made this place. We're ever increasing in the knowledge of what God has done. I think, did, did anyone hear the report? There's like the first material from another galaxy landed on, in the Pacific Ocean this weekend. So like material from another galaxy entered our galaxy and landed in the Pacific Ocean this weekend. Did anybody hear about that? Did you read that story? Okay. First time ever, something from another galaxy got here as a meteorite and, and hit. Anyway, crazy. Crazy. We don't know anything about anything is what I'm trying to tell you. If you want to grow in your faith, then grow in your knowledge of what God has created and be, be in wonder of what he has created. Add to your knowledge, self-control. As you grow in knowledge, you, you, look at, uh, you look at Ecclesiastes and Solomon. And Solomon was said to be the wisest of all people, right? He didn't exactly put that into action. <laughs> so, some problems with Solomon, okay? Um, and so look at Solomon and his conclusions about life and go, man, this guy experienced everything from wisdom and knowledge to physical satisfaction or whatever you want to call that. And, and go, the sum total of his wisdom is do what the Lord says. <laughs> I've experienced all that there is to experience, and this is what I've come to conclude. Don't try all that stuff. Follow the Lord. Solomon's the chief do as I say, not as I did person. Anyway. Um, add to knowledge self-control. Self-control is um, the avoidance of sin, right? Not sinning. And so, like, why? Right? Why not sin? The reason that sin is sin is because sin hurts you and hurts other people. And that hurts God because God created you and other people. This is the basis of sin, is that when we are sinning, we are hurting something that God has created. And that could either be ourself or somebody else. And we think about this sin interaction as just between me and God, but it's just not. And e even in our sins of omitting from what God has called us to do, we think, well, I didn't take that faith step, so nobody got hurt. Well, if you didn't take that faith step, then you weren't obedient to what God wanted to do, and someone else didn't get blessed by you coming in concert with what the Lord wanted to do. I mean, like run that back in your life and your testimony and think, man, if, and I'll just say it from my perspective, man, if Paul Weiss didn't obey the call to youth ministry, where would I have been? I don't know. There are people in your life that you look back at and go, man, if they hadn't stepped up, then I, like, I wouldn't have crossed their path. And so self-control 
is about refraining from hurting yourself and hurting others. Add to your knowledge, as you look at what God has created and done, self-control. Add to your self-control, steadfastness. Um, it's easy when you come to faith in Christ to be excited. A lot of times, when some, especially when you come later in life, they're very excited. And they want to go evangelize everybody. They go sit on the street corner and cry out all day and all this kind of thing and, and go after it. And that's awesome. There's like passion in that, right? But what you realize very quickly is that you kind of run out of steam physically. God hasn't created you to be like pro, you know, proclaiming constantly at all times. Um, and so he's called us to level it out, okay? Steadfast. Keep a pace that's going to run the full race. Okay? It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Your life is long, okay? And so follow that trajectory. How am I going to pace this and follow the Lord steadfastly? I say that with uh, the wisdom of Holy Spirit because you can look at Peter and say, Peter, the Lord has told him his time is coming short. And so he's ready to get, to get out what he needs to get out, say what he needs to say. And so, yeah, the Lord might quicken you, might reveal to you that like this is, time is coming and you need to make sure everything counts and get after it and really give you an urgency. And that's good. You should respond to that. But you also need to keep pace with what, what God has created you to handle, okay? Um, you think of a ministry like uh, Johnny Erickson, Erickson Tata, you know? Her life was very limited by a tragic disaster, right? And she stayed steadfast. That is steadfastness, okay? To be a paraplegic your entire life and praise the name of Christ until the day you die and write books about eternity in heaven and and speak encouragingly of Jesus all the time. Okay, that, is, that is what's called steadfastness. You could become bitter very quickly if life deals you that hand. But she has placed her faith daily in a steadfast understanding that, okay, God has limited my capacity right now, but he's going to use that limitation for good. And so I need to trust not what I think my pace should be, but rather what God's pace in life is. Be steadfast. To steadfastness, add godliness. That even our thoughts and our actions are pure. To godliness, add brotherly affection. That is, to look around at the church and go, we care for each other like family, right? And like, that's a great description here. You guys are a living expression of brotherly affection, always caring for each other's needs. And to brotherly affection, add love. Without a heart of love that God demonstrates to us in Jesus, all these things are futile. There are many lists such as this. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has given you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The point that Peter wants to get across to us is that there is something that has changed in your life as you receive Christ Jesus. It's not just an idea or a concept that you're melding with other ideas and concepts. He's setting up for us the next chapter, uh, which is in chapter 2, which is saying these false prophets have come in and said, oh, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. It's fine. It's spiritual. 
So do whatever you want with your body and just believe the spiritual things. And Peter says, no. If you understand how much value God has on the human body, this is how much God values the human body. Okay? And what you do with your desires and your personhood. He came down and took it on himself and walked in life as only he could, perfectly without sin, and then sacrificed it on the cross so that you could have his righteousness and that you could then use your body and your emotion and your personhood for the glory of God. This is how much he cares about what you do with your body. He showed you that he would give his very own body for you. And so put on this love. Add to your faith the fact that you want to, you desire self-control and knowledge and virtue and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection. And you do all these things not to impress, not to become better than or, or, be, or, or higher up or whatever it is, but rather to just respond to what Christ has done. Peter challenges us in verses 8 to 11 with just how significant it is because he really wants us to understand that there's something at stake if we ignore these things. Verse 8, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have these things, if you are adding to your faith a pursuit of the Lord Jesus in love, then you will be effective and fruitful in your knowledge. The reason God has given you Christ is that you can also give Christ. He said it to his disciples, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. The core purpose he's given to us is to tell the people what he has done for us. And so if we want to be effective in that and fruitful in that, then he says, let your faith affect your actions. Let your faith be infused with the love of God so that you're ever increasing in uh, kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. If these things aren't increasing in you, then we'll be ineffective and we'll be unfruitful. We won't allow our knowledge of Jesus to be transforming who we are. He drives it home in verse 9 to say, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Right? And that's how it's so easy for us to do. It's so easy to just like forget that moment when we came to faith. When we were quickened in our spirit to know, man, I am a sinner and I need the Savior. There's no way I can do this on my own. It can be so easy to be just lulled from that. And Peter says, whoever lacks these qualities and nearsighted, you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your sin. So he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you, if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Peter's point here in this is, man, if you are in this church, and he's talking to a lot of churches, right, as he's sending this letter, if you're here in this church that's being persecuted by your neighbors and all this kind of thing, and you're not seeing this, like, increase in your heart, or you're doing something with a different motive, or you're just, you just like the idea, and you're kind of adding other ideas to it, then he's saying, check your heart. Check your heart. God, like, I want more of you. He says, be diligent to confirm your calling and election. Okay, we go to the philosophical side of things on this. We can't comprehend any of this, okay? It's so easy to get uh, philosophical with things that are, are a matter of obedience. You see, God just meant, it, meant me to be this way. He just meant that this was supposed to be this way. He just did this to me. And so this, it's just God's will. And so I'm just going to be this way. And Peter challenged us to be more diligent, to look at our own heart and, and take the, the responsibility he's put on our heart and say, have you, have you heard what Jesus did for you? Like, do you remember that like, he died for you, gave his life for you, and cleansed you of all your sin? This is what he offers to you. He says, be diligent to confirm your calling and election. It's challenging because we're like, well, I thought, like, I can't lose my salvation, right? Right? Can I? I don't know. And we get stuck in these questions of, well, was I destined to be a Christian? Was I not destined to be a Christian? Can I lose my salvation? Do I, do I not lose my salvation? These kind of things, right? And the Bible doesn't play around philosophical games, okay? It's, I think it's helpful to, like, think about those concepts because actually every religion thinks about those concepts, fate and, and human, human responsibility. This is common in, in all, all, a lot of religions. Uh, but it's very important for us you know, to have those conversations, to think about those things, and challenge our hearts with even those concepts and all that. But it's very important for us to go back to Scripture and think about what it said. And just apply what the Word says to our heart. And what the Word says is that Jesus died for you. That He gave His life for you. And that your sins are washed away in Him. And, and that if, you, if you've believed in that, if you've actually taken on his forgiveness and his righteousness, then something's going to change in your life. He is not saying that, man, if you don't produce good works, then you're not a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're a Christian, you're going to produce good works. You're going to see that the Lord has been working in your heart, not because of a stack of deeds you're, you're putting up for yourself. You might not see it then. You might be blind. Okay? But if you've really seen that the Lord has done this for you, you're going to know more and more every day how much Christ has done for you. And you're going to be humbled by that. And you're going to be able to say with Peter to a group of people that maybe just became believers, right? That's what this is. The, the people he's writing to are new believers. He's saying, you've obtained a faith that is of equal standing with us. They haven't earned that. 
They haven't been through the persecution Peter's been through. They haven't been shipwrecked and moved and all this kind of thing, right? In the world standard, they haven't earned that. But he's saying to them, your standing in Christ Jesus is equal to us. And that's the comprehension, the gospel that we have to have. I'm I'm not increasing levels here. I'm getting lower. And that's, God is exalting us in that. It it may not look like it in the world, but in our hearts, he is showing us his presence when we get low, like him. And so I want to challenge us with a few things as we go. Let's not look at each other the way the world looks at each other. We look, we, you know, it's very easy, um, you know, to, to like, for instance, a very clear example for us is that it's very easy for you to, like, maybe put me on a pedestal because I'm preaching. It's just, it's a thing, okay? That you can put me higher or closer to God because I'm in a preaching role. It happens all the time. In, in every church across America, we look at pastor and go, pastor must be more holy because he's the one preaching. Sorry to tell you, it's not true. And the pastors who say that is true, they're further away from this than anybody. Okay, I, I always remember uh, this conference John Piper was speaking at, and they had a Q&A after the conference, and someone said, yeah, Pastor Piper, we just wonder, how do you, how is it that you write all these books and do all these talks and you stay so humble? And he, from the stage, rebuked them heavily and said, why do you think I'm not the most prideful person in this room? He knew his heart. He knew that his heart, if it left to his heart's desires, would take that as a nice pat on the back and congratulations and then speak of how humble he is. I'm the most humble, you're right. When in fact he's saying, I struggle with that very thing, and so don't put that on me. In the kingdom, we're all in equal standing before, the God, before God. Because Christ died for each of us, and we're sinners, and our sin turns us dark-hearted. And God has put in a heart of flesh and of righteousness that was bought by Jesus. And so let us not look at each other and go, well, they're closer to God. It's like, no, they're not. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, you are both the righteousness of God. And you'd be saying to one another, brother, you're the righteousness of God. Quit listening to the lies of the enemy and walk in the righteousness that God has purchased for you at the cross. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I'm preaching to a choir here because you guys are so amazing at this, laying yourselves down for each other, and I'm just humbled by that fact. But it is right, and I just affirm it, that this is how we ought to be with each other, humble in servanthood toward one another. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus as we rack up years of being a Christian, then we don't become boastful in our heritage, but more humble at how faithful the Lord has been to us. We're in equal standing before God because of what Christ has done. 
Second, don't trust in your own strength. The whole point that Peter is getting across is that it's the Lord's divine power that has given you everything for life and godliness. And so don't try and find it in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own methods. Yeah, you might, in, you might have to employ methods to like organize your day. Or you're like, I'm a planner, so I'm going to plan things out and think about how my schedule is and all that. Other people are spontaneous, and that's great. Like, there's different methods of approaching the Lord. But make sure that you're not trusting in your methods and your strength and your abilities rather than in what God has put in you. He has granted us the power for life and godliness. So keep finding it in Him. And finally, if we're not keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and, and climbing the mountain to him, then we're sliding back down it. This is true in marriages too, right? There's no like, there's no stagnant. We talk about being stagnant at times, and we've all been there, been in times where like, the only description is, I feel stagnant. Well, stop. You have to tell yourself to stop. You have to tell yourself to move out of stagnation, okay? Because being stagnant is not a season that you should be in. It actually doesn't exist, okay? Season of stagnation is isolation and movement away from the Lord. It just as in marriage, you are either moving toward each other or you're moving away from each other. There isn't like a pause, okay, where you're not doing anything. It's not just a coast, because when you're coasting, you're not growing closer, okay? You're like, ah, I don't get her flowers anymore because we're good, you know. What? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Hope, hope, yeah. Get your wife some flowers, everybody. Good grief. <laughs> exactly. But it's true. If we aren't pursuing, then it's growing in isolation. And so, grow toward each other and not away. And the same is true in our faith. If we get to a season where we're describing it as, uh, I'm just stagnant, I'm just apathetic, and all that, I'm not saying that isn't real, okay? Because that is real. We've all been there. I'm not saying that, just like Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. He is acknowledging that anxiety exists. And the, you have to actively take your anxiety to the Lord and say, Lord, you are above this, you're my provider, and I trust you, and let his peace reign in your heart. In the same way with this, in your faith journey with the Lord, if you get to a place where you plateau and you're going like, okay, I feel like I'm coasting, I feel like I'm stagnant, I feel like I'm apathetic, then that is the spot where you better get on your knees and pray and let the Lord start pruning your heart because there isn't like a, like a, a stop in this life, okay? You're, we're going, it's, it's an uphill climb, right, in that sense, okay? And if you stop, you're sliding down. Okay? So keep your eyes climbing to the Lord in this. Um, there isn't a place of stagnant that the Lord wants you to be in. The Lord does not give a spirit of apathy. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's not in the list. It's not. The spirit of apathy is a lie, okay? And so... Listen, I acknowledge we've all been there. But when you get there, man, get around some brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I am, feel like I'm stagnant. 
I need God to show up and get me out of this funk. Just recognize it as a place that you cannot stay and pursue the Lord in it and ask him to do a work in your heart. Because the tricky spot that you're at is if you stay at this apathetic spot and don't press in and be renewed by the truth of Jesus, then you become blind and forget that Christ cleansed you from your sins and put you at the foot of God the Father where you can come boldly to his throne because of Jesus. If you let yourself sit there, And so let's take the challenge of Peter from verses 8 and 9. If these qualities are increasing in you, then it will keep you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful. For if we lack these qualities, then we're so nearsighted that we've forgotten that we were cleansed from our sin. There's not new information. Like the gospel, when you've been in faith for 30 years, is the same as the gospel when it was when you were there for 10 months. It's the same message. Jesus cleansed you from your sin. And that transforms everything you do. In a moment of apathy and stagnation, you go, man, Lord, renew my heart. Bring my heart back to the heart of worship. Right? I love that we sang that song this morning. Because that's what it's about. Let's go back to that moment and go, God, like, your eternal presence and power came into life, into a body that you walked this earth in, and you died for me. My sins are washed away. Man, awaken in me again a desire for that and a heart for that. I want to grow closer to you, Lord. And then look at a very practical list and go, how can I do that? I know. I'll do good. I'll grow in the knowledge. I'll practice self-control. I'll trust in steadfastness instead of quick wins, right? Often they're like, oh, well, we went to church to get cleaned up and we're good to go. We'll go back, we were talking about earlier, (laughs) with confession, right? Like, Come and confess, I'm good, I'm going to go back to the world. No, like steadfastness. Peter challenges this church to remain steadfast and challenge us to, to do the same, to remember what God has done for us, to walk in humility and empower and in steadfastness as we pursue Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for what you've done for us in Christ. We're just transformed and renewed every day, God. We're, we're, we're thankful for what you have done for us. Um, God, we want to be um, your servants and your apostles. We want to take our desires and submit them to you the desires of our flesh, we just we submit them to you and, and pray that you would replace our desires with yours. And God, we look forward to the life ahead and we, we want to be sent by you. And so we exchange um, our plans for the future with your plans for the future. And so God, would you make us as a body, make us into... Uh, sent slaves. God, ones that are sent by you, ones that are uh, bond servants to you, who have yielded our desires to you, O oh God. May you give us a greater appreciation for how holy you are, and would your holiness just 
challenge our hearts and draw us closer to you, Lord Jesus. Where we've become stagnant, God, I pray that you would bring fresh water to that. And God, rise up just a a new desire for you that we continue climbing and continue uh, chasing after you, Lord Jesus. We want our whole life to speak of your goodness and mercy, and, and you deserve all of it, God. And so we pray that grace and peace will be multiplied in this place and in our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.